Peace and Grace, and welcome back to One on One with the Cannon podcast show, brought to you by WCANmedia.com, where tomorrow's services are here today. With me here in the podcast studio is a good friend of mine, Jack Hall, and we will be talking about a very intense topic. All of this and much more right here on One on One with the Cannon podcast show, coming up right after this. My name is Tierney Grayson, Chief of Talent Affairs and Programming for WCAN-TV and Discovery Channel Portal Producer, Wayne Fitzpatrick. If you are a business or a company looking for a high quality production studio to meet your commercial advertising needs, look no further than WCAN-TV because tomorrow's services are here today. For more information, please contact our office at tvwcan at yahoo.com. Again, that's tvwcan at yahoo.com. WCAN TV, the better choice. Russ Van Warmer here at wcanradio.com. Join me every Monday night from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we will talk about everything and anything. You can get involved by downloading the WCAN Radio app. Just visit the Apple or Google store to download for your mobile devices. That's Monday nights from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on WCANradio.com. Wayne, how are you doing this afternoon? Jack, I'm doing fine. Great. Hey, I want to thank you because this is a continuation of a very important topic in regarding sextortion that um, any of the listeners are well aware that we've had uh, two podcasts. This makes this our third. And we shift focus today, as we've alluded in podcast number two, in regards to adolescents and their attachment to sextortion social media. And today in our studio, Wayne, we have Chloe Dean with the Highland Springs uh, Hospital, and uh, she is here to talk to us about adolescent psychology, interaction with adolescents, and this horrific topic now that's becoming a common household term of sextortion. And uh, Chloe, before we get started, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your background in the field? Absolutely. I am a licensed professional counselor. I've been in the mental health field for about 10 years. I started out in crisis counseling, so I would do emergency mental health assessments in the community and emergency room settings. Did that for several years. I now work in the hospital setting, um, Highland Springs Hospital, which is a freestanding psychiatric hospital over in Beechwood. I do marketing for the hospital. I run outpatient therapy groups. I write and teach all of our continuing education programs. I occasionally speak at conferences and community events and now podcasts. And when do you sleep? I find the time. Okay, very good. With that, since you've been doing this for 10 years, you have probably come into the pinnacle of social media engagement through TikTok, through other social media applications, Twitter and the evolution of that and our young people that are engaging in those applications. Absolutely. Over the course of the 10 years of your career, what have you seen in your opinion in regards to the relationship of adolescents? Then we'll talk about their parents, extended family and that, but uh, how has this affected adolescents that you've seen in your field over the last decade? It's impacted them immensely. Um, It has taken a toll on mental health of adolescents and children. I've seen a lot of impact on their self-esteem And that's for a couple of different reasons. 
One of which being that they see what they perceive to be, quote unquote, perfect lives of other people because Mm -hmm. they're only posting the good and the fun stuff. So what they're seeing are all of the vacations that people are going on, all of their friends, all of the fun things they get to do. And they internalize that and they they then compare themselves to those individuals. Well, why don't I have that much fun? Why don't I have that many friends? Why am I not good enough? And so that's a huge impact on their mental health and self-esteem. The other reason that I've seen such an impact on self-esteem is because of online bullying and harassment. As we know, it is so much easier to bully behind the comfort of your computer or your phone screen. And so there are less inhibitions as to what people are willing to say. And so that is also having a huge impact. And we've been seeing a huge increase in things like depression and anxiety and in extreme cases, suicidal thoughts. That's really sad to hear. And I know from being involved in law enforcement for 32 years, when we've talked about bullying specifically, we would get a call to a house, respond to it, and the parents would uh, lay out the story as to what happened to their child. And of course, you have the child there that doesn't really want to talk about the bullying situation, but the parents now have taken attention to it. And generally, when it gets to the time, a lot of my experience, when parents pay attention, would you agree we're well beyond when this could have been caught earlier, that we've reached some type of pinnacle at that point of time that it's become so, so bad, either an actual altercation has taken place, an assault has taken place, Something has happened, or as you alluded to, with the increased depression and what's happening, that adolescent has gotten to the point where maybe there could have been interaction earlier. There's always room for intervention as early as the first time they get a message from someone. We often feel like it's a shock when our children either have suicidal thoughts or do unfortunately act on those thoughts. And it it feels like a shock, but really there are a lot of warning signs that parents, teachers, any trusted adult can look out for. I would say it's never too late to intervene, though, as long as you are catching it before they have unfortunately acted on any thoughts. I think that any time would be helpful. Ideally, the earlier, the better, though. Okay, we'll jump in now because I know somebody's first going to be thinking, you said signs. What should I be looking out for? Absolutely. So some warning signs that you can look for are things like depressed mood. So if they're down, not necessarily even just sad, but if they're down, feeling withdrawn, If there's any sort of isolation, they're not doing the things that they used to do. Maybe they quit the football team. They quit going to band practice. They're not spending as much time with their friends. Any sort of mood swings, which is obviously going to be a little bit difficult with adolescents in particular because that's kind of normal for them. But Mm -hmm. if it's more intense than what is normal for your child, that might be a sign that something is going on. If they appear to be giving away things that are important to them, Like I gave my letterman jacket to my best friend or they're saying goodbye or apologizing for things that they've done, appearing to make amends. That might be a sign. Obviously, searching for things on the Internet, like how can I kill myself? How can I get a gun? Things like that would also be a huge red flag. So paying attention to that social media piece and that Internet piece will also be really helpful. And those are just some of the signs. There are a ton more. Okay, and before we jump into that, because I'm going to have a question for you about proposed legislation that our governor and lieutenant governor is looking at in regards to parents being involved absolutely, uh, with their social media content. But we talked about signs of what to look for, and you said basically the big cues are when we're making major changes, quitting something, giving things away. Mm-hmm. The other 
thing I want to look at, too, especially from the social media aspect, when somebody's also grooming these kids to be involved in something online. Is there an opposite thing that we should be looking for, too, besides quitting things and giving, giving things away that we're now receiving things, gifts of large size? You know, well, where did you get that leather jacket from? Where did you get these gifts from? So we can can we go from the opposite to also looking for now receiving things that could be indicative of grooming, for example? Absolutely. I would say that if there's any major change in how your child is behaving, that's a red flag that something is going on. So whether they're giving stuff away or they're receiving things, I would definitely ask the questions. And it, it doesn't have to be accusatory or anything like that. It can simply be, hey, I've noticed this. What's going on in your life? Mm-hmm. What have you been up to? And just checking in, because I would say either end of the spectrum, something is going on. Interesting you say just checking in, because I think a lot of parents are going to say, well, my son's moody all the time. My daughter always snaps back all the time. And we're looking at that. So I think a lot of times, especially parents, you know, both of them are working, they have busy lives. Uh, any tips on how that conversation gets started? I would really just say that being as open and honest as possible. I think mm-hmm. a lot of parents probably tiptoe around asking the questions because they are afraid that their teenager is going to snap back at them or be moody or storm off. And I think that, you know, especially teenagers really respond well to authenticity. So even if it's just maybe they're grabbing a banana in the morning on their way to school, just saying, hey, you know, I just want to ask how things are going. I know you don't want to get into the nitty gritty or the details because I'm mom or I'm dad, but I just, I care about you and I just want to know what's going on. So really just jumping right in, being authentic. Hey, I just want to know what's going on. I think can really open the door to communication and not tiptoeing and being afraid that they're going to snap. Maybe they will snap. Teenagers do that. Mm -hmm. But I think that they'll appreciate that you are just being honest and open with them. And that's good to know, too, because I've seen from my perspective over years is that a lot of times a lot of parents don't even want to contact somebody in your position as a therapist. They don't want to contact law enforcement because it's not the child. It's actually the parent who's more concerned about their social status, a stigma upon the parent themselves may be, you know, affected by what the child is doing. And, you know, can you describe that, too, where you've seen those dynamics with the family between the adolescents and their parents where we're worrying about the parents are more worried about themselves than they are the children? I would say I've seen a little bit of everything. The majority of what I've seen, though, is that it's not necessarily just the stigma that the parents might feel, but the stigma that their kids might experience as well. So I've seen that it's a little bit of a combination. Okay. Mental health has come a long way over the last few decades, but it is still not where it needs to be in terms of being just a regular part of the healthcare system. So I think a lot of it is that fear and that mysticism of, well, what are are we going to do in therapy? It's, you know, it's weird to have a mental health diagnosis. And I, I really do think that Parents are afraid of the stigma that they and their children might experience because there is stigma, unfortunately, that is attached to feeling depressed, having anxiety, having suicidal thoughts. And so I think it's really just the fear that both the parent and the child will be stigmatized and nobody wants to be stigmatized. Gotcha. Now, with that in mind, and we we look at that, I think you're familiar with a law, and I alluded to it earlier, that the uh, governor and lieutenant governor have actually put into the um, uh, budget for 2024. And within that budget is, you know, some people call it an earmark or some type of legislation that would be in there that would create a parent, uh, parental rights notification, meaning that anybody under the age of 16 
would have to have the parent involved for consent to be able to have that child engage in any type of social media contact or engagement with a social media platform. As a therapist being involved in this for the last decade, what are your thoughts on legislation like that? I love that we're opening the door to parental involvement. Whether it's social media or their mental health, research has shown, and I've seen personally in my work with adolescents, that parental involvement has a huge impact on whether or not the child will implement the healthy skills and behavior that they need to. And I think it's really, really great that we're getting those parents involved. I think that what parents can do is, again, have that open, honest communication and just be authentic. You know, these are the things that you might encounter on social media. These are Mm -hmm. the things that might be said to you. These are the things that you might feel when you see these things. And I just want you to know that I'm here. You don't need to be afraid because I think part of it is that kids are afraid to come to their parents when something has happened on social media because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. Right. And uh, in our last podcast, we had uh, Ken Cardlin from Digital Forensics on there, and he was saying that a lot of times when they start an investigation, it's normally precluded by a parent's credit card was used. Somebody had groomed the adolescent to go into mom's purse, dad's wallet, get me a credit card, and we're now going to charge $1,000 to the credit card. It gets reported to the police as an initial crime, unauthorized use of credit card or something else. When we get into having parental involvement through this law and seeing what's going on and the suggestion, which you said, which I love, just be honest, just be honest with your kids. I think a lot of times in society, if we were all just more honest and respectful of each other, we'd be a lot further ahead and not hiding behind trading barbs online and, you know, making these uh, verbal assaults that take place, you know, on a regular basis. But with that and using that type of um, venue that the parent has to have knowledge and consent of what's going on. Do you think that will help, especially from a mental health perspective? I'm going to have another follow-up question for you with law enforcement's involvement in that as well. But um, instead of just going to the police, actually going to somebody such as yourself to open that up to that the child or adolescent feels that they're comfortable in having that conversation with their parent, do you think this will help in doing that? Absolutely. Anytime we have parents involved, and modeling that healthy behavior and being honest with their children, anytime we have that involvement, yes, I do believe that will be helpful for their mental health. Okay. And with that, one of the things that I haven't seen over the years, and you talked about the evolution of mental health, what would be your feelings on the evolution of combining law enforcement resources with mental health resources to be able to bring this together, to have the conversation? I know a lot of times we have HIPAA you know, a lot of people are afraid to disclose anything to be able to have those conversations. But do you think we're going to get to the day and age that we'll actually be able to work together on these? I hope so. And and we actually do work with local police departments at Highland Springs. And we what we've done is we have helped to give trainings to the police officers so that they have more of an understanding on mental health. They've also explained to us what their processes are. Ideally, I think it would be great if we could all work together because at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. We want to help people and we want to make sure that they're healthy and they're safe. And I think we need to work on that here shortly in the future. Well, Chloe, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today in this podcast. But I thank you for coming on to the show today. I thank you for explaining this to our listeners. And hopefully we can arrive at that point in the very near future that we can all work together on this for the benefit of families and adolescents and maybe in this sextortion thing altogether. So thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 
If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please direct all correspondence to canonpodcast at yahoo.com. And always remember, the way you live your days is the way you live your life. Until all in one, take care. Thank you.